This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, I'm here with Bob Berry, founder and director of It's the Users and principal user experience researcher at Answer Lab to talk tactics and best practices for improving internal user experiences. Welcome to the podcast, Bob. Thanks for having me, Mercy. Glad to be here again. <laughs> so we know that when it comes to UX, it's one thing to get a bunch of great big picture ideas from the leaders in this space, like Apple, Airbnb, but it's not so easy to find ways to actually apply those ideas in your organization, especially if you're talking about internal employee-facing UX. We know that good UX helps employees be more productive and feel more engaged and obviously less frustrated, but the reality is that companies, most of them anyway, don't want to spend a lot of money on this. That's why I'm so glad to have you on, Bob, to talk about some ideas people can realistically implement to improve internal UX without spending a ton of cash. So first, I want to step into a situation a lot of folks are in right now where they suspect there's a UX problem with one of their internal tools or systems, but they're not sure how to get to the root of it. What's your advice for these folks? Yeah, this is, this is a, a frequent problem, especially with companies that maybe have older legacy systems that might be a little temperamental uh, or, or worse. Um, and so I, the, probably the most important first step is to uh, get to the bottom of the situation. So with whatever resources you have, and in most cases, the most important person in this process is the end user because they're likely to be the person who discovered the problem in the first place. And they're also likely to be most familiar with how the interface should work and what tasks that they need to accomplish and what in fact might be getting in their way. So you have to replicate and characterize the problem. It's important to, uh, as, as much as you can, to make sure that you get to the root of what's going on and try to replicate it. Now, another way to do this, in addition to just sitting with somebody and having them show you what's going on or what's not working is if the systems that you're using have any kind of metrics, log files or any kind of analytics, if you have any kind of that data on the back end, that can also be a source to understand where there's a bottleneck or where there's a glitch in the system. Um, so anything you can do to, to use that analytic data along with the uh, subjective data of the... Um, <laughs> knew that was going to happen, uh, of, the, of the users themselves. Both of those are going to sort of help you triangulate on the problem. So once you've, once you've thoroughly characterized the problem or you've characterized it as best you can, the next step is probably going to be coming up with some kind of cost analysis to understand what it's going to take to get it fixed. And does that mean um, some time from a programmer internally does it mean that you're going to need to go and hire an external resource, somebody to come in that can, um, you know, get into the system, whatever the problem is, and make the changes necessary? And again, the, the, the cost might be if this is just a problem in the interface and the menus don't make sense or the instructions that the user has encountered are, aren't aligned with how the system is functioning and it's more of a cosmetic change, that's obviously a lot simpler than a, a real functional problem. 
Uh, so understanding what those differences are is going to be really essential. So again, the characterizing the problem is going to go a long way towards helping you understand what the true cost is. And that might require further testing. You might actually have, have to have users go through various scenarios on their task. Uh, you might have to you know, have the system go through different states to make sure you understand all of the different instances where the problem occurs. So there's, um, you know, there's, there's a number of steps you might have to go through to really characterize the problem. But once you do, then you're gonna to need to figure out what the cost is gonna be and then make some decisions about how you're gonna go about addressing that. Now that makes sense. So, so Bob, if, if users are, and you know, developers as well, are having a, a hard time kind of characterizing the problem, what would you recommend in that scenario? So a lot of the work that we do um, falls under the category of what we call expert review, where um, we have a number of different processes and tools that we can use to come in and sit down. Part of it, again, might be working with users. Part of it might be working with analytics where we'll spend a lot of time and go through the system and really try to understand, you know, try to take it through every possible permutation and do some kind of a, a coverage analysis of all the different features and functions, which end users typically might not really have the skill to do. Uh, and then even developers sometimes struggle with that because they're so close to the problem. We, we kind of come in and bring an objective look at it. You know, we didn't design the system. We don't have any stake in it. So we can sit down and do a more thorough objective review. And if you're having trouble really getting to the root of it, you know, hiring an external user experience expert to come in and do that kind of coverage uh, might be really effective because then you're really going to understand the extent of the problem. And that's, you're going to have a better handle on what it's going to take to fix it. Now, bringing in that objectivity makes sense because I'm thinking that um, potentially a scenario you could run up against would be either developers or super users of the platform saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, a, it's a training problem. Is that something you've seen? Yeah, we see that a lot. And, and, that's, and that's actually at, at Answer Lab and with a lot of the independent work I do, that's actually one of the key benefits that we provide is that objectivity. Uh, so having developers, designers, making value judgments about their own system can be problematic. And again, they're just human beings. They're, you know, not that they're wrong or they have an agenda or anything like that. It's just, it's just, it just works better to have an independent assessment of what the problem is instead of uh, having those developers. And it, it, it puts them in a difficult position too, because you're asking them to be objective about something that, um, that they have some, honestly have some personal stake in. So yeah, that, that's really critical. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. So that's one stakeholder that you would need at the table to fix internal UX. Um, what are what are other stakeholders that you need to fix these problems in a smart way that that lasts? So uh, you know, the, the people we've sort of already talked about. So certainly the end user or end users, whoever they are, because they're going to provide the most complete picture of what they need to accomplish. So they have a job to do. And whatever system they're having trouble with or whatever user experience is getting in the way of them getting their job done, uh, you know, it, it, them continuing to be able to complete those tasks and be productive and provide whatever function the business needs is really essential. So you really need their perspective. They're gonna also gonna help you scope 
on what's important and what's not. So they might say, you know, my ability to complete this function is really critical. We got to fix that part. This other one, I don't need that so much. That's, I can probably work around. That's not a big deal. So they're going to also give you some idea of scope and scale about what's important to help prioritize things. Um, the, um, the, obviously the developers, IT designers. Now, again, if you're designing internally, those are mostly going to be people on staff. But if you've hired somebody externally to do your development, you're going to have to figure out how to bring them in. If you contracted out the development of whatever the system is, you're going to need somebody from that organization to come in and be able to answer the technical questions and really understand that. Um, and then you're going to probably need somebody in the organization who's accountable for the business function. So again, if you're internal and it's IT, you probably need an IT decision maker, whether that's a project manager or whether it's uh, you know somebody at a higher level, again, it's gonna depend on your organizational structure. Uh, and then depending on the severity, you know, if it's a minor fix, you know, that set of people could be enough. And they're, okay, we're gonna go off and we're gonna, we're gonna change the interface. We're gonna fix the way the menus work. Everything's gonna be good. But if it looks like, no, we have a much more serious problem, this is gonna require more time and resources, then you might need somebody higher up who can make decisions about the dollars and the people required to make that happen. Um, and then you know, if, if they're involved and they're available, um, you know, the UX researchers, those expert reviewers, uh, if you, again, if they're on staff or if you're hiring them externally, they can help provide a lot of insight into, once you make the fix, Let's make sure we test it. Okay, we don't want to create more problems by fixing this one. And so once you have the fix in place or once you've designed a new interface or made improvements to the existing interface, then they can sit down with those users, take them through their paces and really make sure that what you've done is going to be effective. That makes sense. I've got a follow-up for you on the, the users. Um, and I'm sure you've, you've done this a lot. So you probably have some good ideas. How do you pick a good group for user testing? And, you know, I'm sure that the ballpark size of that group varies widely, you know, depending on the organization, but are there certain kinds of different users that you want to look for, you know, to make sure that you really get a fair picture of what that user experience is like? So internally, um, it's pretty focused. It's pretty limited. It's, it, you know, there are people whose jobs it is to use whatever system you're, you're wrestling with. To, again, to complete specific tasks. Um, and so that the, the user population is pretty limited. So those are the most important people. Now, if you have people uh, internally that are sort of um, not direct immediate users, maybe use the system occasionally, or maybe don't use the system at all, having them go through whatever tasks are problematic might provide a more objective look. Um, so when we do external testing, a lot of times we recruit people from the general public. Now, again, we might be very specific about, you know, if we're testing a financial app, we want to make sure that those people have some experience in managing their own money. Or if we're talking about, you know, an entertainment app, we want to make sure these are people who enjoy watching movies or playing games. So we, we can get a little more specific. But in general, it's, it's, we have, a, you know, thousands, millions of people to choose from when we do public consumer-based testing. Uh, internally, obviously, you have a much smaller population. So the immediate end users, it's important that they be involved. But again, you might find other people in the organization and sit them down and have them try the task. You might develop some 
additional insights into how serious this is. Uh, and well, and maybe it is a training problem. Maybe, maybe the end users just need some more time with the system and they need to help, need some help on how to make the best use of it. So that's, that, that can be an important user population as well. Now, I really like that idea because I think we often forget there are systems that some employees use every day, but there are others that like you might use a couple of times a year. You know, your your uh, your sales or your advisory group is using that expense report thing every day, but, you know, another group might use it once or twice a year. And, you know, I think including those folks in there can really give a more objective view of like how exactly easy is this thing to use. Um, yeah. That's a good point. And I guess another thing to point out at this, at this point as well is to, the, um, uh, you know, almost all of these systems are going to be configurable in some way. They have different ways of setting up options. Uh, you know, you can configure the layout of different screens. You can decide which features to enable or not. There's a lot of different ways that you can set these up. Mm -hmm. So what might initially appear to be a, a problem with a system uh, might simply be they need to be reconfigured. They need to be, you know, the, the setup of the system, uh, there might be a more effective way to do that. And so it, there's really not a problem. It's just not set up correctly for the end users to make the best use of it. No, that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, if you're only going in there to look at the dashboard or whatever, you know, you get a really simplified view where you're just looking at that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So uh, we did this on episode one, and I think we should definitely do it again. Uh, let's close out with a lightning round. Bob, can you give us five more ways that organizations can create exceptional virtual experiences without spending a lot of money? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat one of them. And again, that is to you know, look for existing tools. Uh, don't, don't go through a lot of the expense and time of developing tools internally if you can uh, purchase or buy or rent them and just install them because again a lot of the the, the user experience is going to be built into those ahead of time uh, the, and as we've referred to in this episode a few times uh, do some internal low-cost user testing just having the IT people or the developers or some of the the frontline managers sit down with the end users and just observe how they're doing just watch them go through their paces as they're completing various tasks with these systems. You know, interview them, ask them key questions. How's it going? How could this be better? Uh, they're going to be happier that you're asking those questions if you can make their lives easier by making some improvements. And again, it could be as simple as just reconfiguring the interface. Um, but if there are serious problems, that, that that's going to be beneficial. Fixing those is going to be beneficial to everyone. So just doing that basic observing, asking, interviewing, listening, reacting, that's, a, that's almost free. Uh, it only costs you the time. And if you have to fix something, there's likely to be some cost benefit to doing that. Uh, also, the whatever developers or um, programmers that you have internally, make sure that you're providing them the best tools. Um, there are a lot of development tools out there now that have a lot of user experience and usability uh, features and functions built in. So if, if you can provide them with better tools, they're going to have better templates, better guidance, better training on how to develop your internal uh, systems and features so that they work better when it's time for end users to dive in and try to do something useful with them. Um, another one is to just use common sense. So a lot of times what we find is that if you can simply put yourself in 
the mindset of the end user and really understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. Again, you can make decisions about what's important here, what features do we really need or what features do we not need? Is there anything else in the environment that would make it easier for the user? You know, what's sort of the, what's sort of the narrative of the day in the life of the end user? And that might include things in the interface, it might include other things around the user that could make the whole thing work better. So just using common sense, paying attention to those things, listening to end users, um, all those are going to go a long way towards improving their experience and making everybody more happy and productive. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Bob. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me again. So before we go, I want to let our listeners know to check the links in the description for more of Bob's guidance on building great UX. And if you haven't checked it out already, definitely listen to the first episode we did on this topic with Bob, which is on high-level strategy. Uh, always a good idea to start with strategy before you jump into the tactics. And once again, I'm Mercy Harper. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more about our research, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.